0: I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women, and this is episode 30, where we are discussing Rebecca Solnit's The Mother of All Questions, and The Fire of This Time, edited by Jesmyn Ward. 30 seems like a big number.
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been looking at this number for weeks, but like hearing you say it out loud for the first time, I'm like, really? Have we really done 30?
0: Yeah, I think we'll have to do something special for episode 50. But if you include our interviews, I think we're closer to 40. Probably. um, In half episodes or whatever they are, but we have a very particular numbering system. (laughs) (laughs) So anything that doesn't fit into our decided paradigm gets thrown out and ignored (laughs) and doesn't give a number. Anyway, so this
1: was our episode about essay collections, and if you listened to the last episode, you probably heard us talk about how much I personally love essay collections. I don't really know why. I just always have. It's just always been a thing of mine. Um, I actually picked this podcast theme Um Because I just, I just really love essay collections and now I'm just repeating myself. And we actually had a hard time narrowing down our picks for this episode. That's happening more frequently now. Like, I really don't know what the public opinion is about essays. I I feel like I don't really come across many people who read essays, but maybe it's just because the people I know don't read essays, which is highly likely also most people just don't read as much as we do in general so this is also very true but I I do love a good essay I think I probably got interested in them of course like someone like Nora Ephron or um Joan Didion and then I've just kind of gone from there
0: and you really loved um Sloane Crosley's essay collection what was that called yes I um I was told there'd be cake. Yeah.
1: And then she has another one. Uh, How would you get this number? Yeah, I really enjoyed her essays. They're they're really funny. We tried when in picking these books to pick a really varied and diverse selection of essays um, by you know people we hadn't read before and new authors. And yeah, I think that's it. So I think we're just going to jump on in. Am I first? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I will just keep talking. So, the first one that we're going to talk about is The Mother of All Questions by Rebecca Solnit. And this book is out by Haymarket Books and it is Neon Orange. Can't miss it. Um, <laughs> it's very okay, true. It is the follow up collection to her, well, it follows her collection, Men Explain Things to Me, which I didn't get to read, but I want to read. But in all of these essays, were published in, like, 2014, 15, or 16, like, right in that range. So they're all really recent essays.
0: Yeah, and they're really interesting because I I haven't read Hope in the Dark, but I have read Men Explain Things to Me, and you can see, like, the progression of her thought throughout the different essays. And I like how this collection, because it was published in different places, you can see, like, the development of her thought, and she even responds to one of her own essays in the collection, and it's just well put together. Yeah. And I that that I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that was one of the most fascinating things is
1: she does talk about a lot of the same topics in some of her essays. Like she talks about the Bill Cosby rape incident and she talks about the um, a mass killing that happened in California in 2014. And you can kind of see how she builds on her thoughts. And she does talk, she does talk a lot about rape and she does talk a lot about books and about female authors and about just all kinds of things
0: yeah and she does a very good job like in this particular essay collection i felt she dealt a lot more with motherhood and femaleness and what does it mean to be a woman while in men explain things to me i felt it was more how men related to women and that kind of thing while this one i felt dealt more with motherhood topics and not all of them but that was kind of a more recurring theme than in past essay collections Well, and I haven't read Men
1: Explain Things to Me, but to make it more parallel, because I like parallelism, I will agree that it is more like how women relate to men versus how men relate to women.
0: Anywho, do we want to talk about the title essay first? Sure. Sure. The essay, the essay that I really liked was um, "The Mother of All Questions." It's the title essay. So I was kind of going into this essay thinking it'd be more about reproductive rights, but she really talks about more about what is motherhood and how we relate to mothers and how we expect like a woman's reproductive activities to be like open knowledge or whatever so how a lot of people ask women like when are you going to have kids or they walk up to pregnant women and they touch their bellies or how people just expect that women reproducing is their business like but if you think about it it's a woman's uterus yeah. it's none of your business like I yeah I yeah. Having personally had a lot of questions about when I'm going to have children because people think that's okay to ask it's not in case you were wondering and you want to talk to me in the future um (laughs) like it's not appropriate and while I slough it off and start talking about oh I do have a child his name is Dylan and you know he's a corgi and blah 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 and I kind of try to make a joke out of it it really does bother me and she really gets to the heart of that matter in this essay and I really appreciate that
1: Well, she doesn't address this specifically in this essay, but I I personally have seen people that I know who can't have kids. And so then when people, because people feel like it's okay to just ask someone they just met about their family plans, it's really hurtful. Like I've seen it really, really hurt people. Um, So like, if you don't know, you know, their history or something, it can be a really sensitive thing. But she also talks about, and this just blows my mind about how like she would like go on talk shows to talk about her book, <laughs> her previous book. I think it was Men Explain Things to Me. And how the interviewers were not interested in talking about what she was saying, but about whether or not she was going to have kids, <laughs> which has nothing to do with what she was saying
0: yeah yeah a couple a couple years ago I was reading just happened to be reading a couple books back to back about single women who chose to be single and what that experience was like and I had some comments about my reading habits and like you know whether I was thinking about doing that and it's not it's not, why why would people be concerned? It's like there's this fear that a woman might not choose to be a mother and that means that she's not as much of a woman if she doesn't have children. And I personally, you know, once you get to a certain age all your friends are having kids and you walk around and and people treat you like you don't know, you're not as much of a woman because you don't have children and that's obviously not true. And she really gets to the heart of that in a very poignant way. Like she says it so precisely and covers so much range about what being a woman is and what we expect of, you know, women being mothers and there's just so much going on.
1: But I will say this one thing that I did appreciate was that she doesn't demean motherhood, which I feel like there is unfortunately this tone where if you don't have kids, like you're villainized. But then if you do have kids, you're villainized. And she doesn't do that at all. She more of talks about it from like a happiness perspective or like the narratives we tell about our lives and I did want to read this one quote. She says, the problem may be a literary one. We are given a single storyline about what makes a good life, even though not a few who follow that storyline have bad lives. And I feel like that just pretty much sums up the entire essay. She's kind of like, you know, what's good for you is not necessarily good for me. And that's cool. And we need to stop telling people that there's only one way for them to live their lives. So yeah, especially when it comes to motherhood.
0: Yeah. And I think you can, you can definitely see that. Like I I've had friends who've chosen to stay at home with their kids and that's what they feel is best for them and their kids is what they want to do. That's what they're able to do um, financially and that's fine. But they have like felt that they needed to post like these huge long things on Facebook, like explaining themselves and they shouldn't have to. Like if that's, you know, what they want to do and that's, totally fine like so yeah a woman I I feel badly because like these women shouldn't have to feel like they need to explain themselves if they choose to stay at home with their kids either so it's sort of like people women can't win they just can't win no no, (laughs) they can't they really can't yeah Unfortunately, it is very interesting and I have watched women interact with each other who are on the same age and some have kids, some are single, some are married without kids, and it's sort of like this weird like interaction of of women and I find it interesting to watch because sometimes women don't know how to interact with each other because of these like patriarchal norms about what is considered normal. And the fact is They were all normal. So many thoughts with this essay.
1: So many thoughts. Um, So the first essay then that we wanted to kind of highlight is the mother of all questions, of course, because it's the title essay. And then another one that actually really very strongly resonated with me is an essay that's actually ironically called A Short History of Silence. And it's ironic because it's the longest essay in the collection. It's like three parts, yeah, that are each the size of regular. Yeah, it's very long, Um, but very, very good. Like I tore through this essay, and she Mm -hmm. kind of starts out by talking about how silence. She she intentionally makes the distinction between silence and quiet, and silence, she says, is something that's imposed. And that quiet is something that is volitional or restful, and how silence is harmful and how quiet is restorative, which I thought was a really good distinction to
0: make. I thought that she did a great job of balancing the different types of silence, and she has a somewhere in the essay um, – She says that silence is what allows people to suffer without recourse, what allows hypocrisies and lies to grow and flourish, crimes to grow and punish. And she talks a lot about, like, voices, and people are able to voice uh, their experiences. not like, you know, audibly, but like having a voice in the, you know, collective dialogue of the community and different things. And she just covers not just about women, but also about men and their voices.
1: Yes, and I'm glad that she brought that up because I feel like, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of talk anymore in like mainstream culture about the silencing of women. I think we're all I mean, I hope we're at least all familiar with the concept (laughs) that that actually does happen. She does include men in the conversation, which I think is extremely helpful because she talks about how, you know, the flip side of silencing women is that it's also silencing men in the sense that, traditional stereotypical representations of masculinity don't allow for emotion which is not okay like it is very damaging and she gives a lot of examples about like how it's damaging which kind of gave voice to some thoughts that I'd had for a while, but it was good to see it articulated
0: on the page. Yeah, and that's the thing is that we can talk about it a lot here, but every time, like, we talk about it, I'm like, but she puts it, like, so perfectly. Right. And we don't want to to sit here and read quotes to you because, I mean, then you wouldn't have to go read the book. But she does say so many great things, and she talks about when when men are not allowed as wide a range of emotions as women, like, they cannot experience, like, for lack of a better term, like full humanity. It's like they're stunted in this one particular area. I mean, we often talk about how women are not supposed to be passionate. They're supposed to be like meek and mild and whatever. And obviously, automai are none of those things. (laughs) So, (laughs) but men, on the other hand, aren't supposed to be gentle and loving and caring because that's supposed to be unmasculine and a weakness. And she made a good point that, Like, women are allowed to like the color blue, but men are allowed to like the color pink. And she says pink is a small thing, but it represents something much bigger.
1: Yeah. And that section made me think of um, a book that we read a couple months ago Cinderella Ate My Daughter by Peggy Ornstein, when she talks about the difference between blue toys and pink toys and how, same thing in childhood, like, it's okay for girls to play with male-colored, whatever that means, toys, because they're somehow more gender-neutral, but, like, boys aren't allowed to play with pink toys and how that, even at a very young age, it starts to, like, separate the groups, which is just sad.
0: And I think it goes back to, like, bringing this back to, like, books, how there's the whole thing where girls will read books about boys, but boys won't read books about girls. But, you know, I recently got my nephew uh, the book um, Zeta the Space Girl, and it's about a girl who goes to space and run around and does things, and he really enjoyed it, and it made me start thinking about how long am I going to be able to do this? Like, when will he start thinking that girl stuff isn't cool or you know, not acceptable. And she really ties that together in um, her essay because she just talks about like when boys are kind of taught not to express their emotions, like don't be a girl. And she talks about the different derogatory terms that men have for each other if they're showing emotion and most of them are feminine.
1: I also thought that to kind of talk about reading before we wrap this up, is that she said something that I've thought a lot about since I read the essay, which is how talking about discrimination and how a definition of discrimination is training people not to identify or empathize with someone because they're different. And she was talking about how maybe it's easier for at times, not always, but for women to identify with minorities and other people who are discriminated against because they're so used to already having to insert themselves into narratives where they aren't represented that it's just easier for them. Like it's just a default. And I was like, oh, you know,
0: I hadn't really thought about that, but that's, <laughs> I think she has something there. I definitely think it creates a level of empathy and, you know, you can relate to it, you know, but if you're not really discriminated against much at all, you can't relate to that, and I think that's where intersectionality comes in, because, I mean, obviously, being a woman, you're not going to be the perfect activist for all the things, Um, so there's, like, an intersection of different issues that you have, and so, I mean, you obviously, need to study what you can, but, yeah, I think definitely women have more empathy because, you know, hashtag sexism. Um, and I mean, you watch um, Mad Men, and yeah, you know, it's just all there. <laughs> like, if you think sexism doesn't exist, <laughs> go watch Mad Men and see see or how far we how far we've come, and how far we have yet to go. <laughs> or
1: just go work in the workplace. <laughs> you can ask me about it on Twitter. Anyway, so these are just two of the essays in the Mother of All Questions, and as we mentioned before, like she covers a wide range of topics. She talks about violence and about acts of widespread violence and kind of like maybe why is it that it seems like men are more likely to come to enact large scale acts of violence versus women. And she talks about, as I mentioned, like Bill Cosby, she talks about rape jokes and the problem with rape jokes, well, with certain types of rape jokes. Um, just lots of really good stuff. Like I said, I've I've highlighted all the things in this book. You have there's a lot of tabs in in, in Autumn's book. Yeah,
0: there are, and they're orange, so they match the cover. So I'm really happy about that. Of course, but, your yeah. underlining color, kind yep. of choice, and your tabs need to match. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not OCD. <laughs> <laughs> So that is The Mother of
1: All Questions by Rebecca Solnit. And again, it is published by Haymarket Books.
0: And that brings us to our sponsor for this episode, which is Quarterlane, which is a quarterly subscription service. And you buy one box and there are three to four books in that box. And they have a bunch of different types of boxes. They have different people curate the box, like our box, which we're going to talk about in a second. But they also have a fiction box, which has Celeste Ng's, uh, little Fires Everywhere and uh, What We Lose by Zindy Clemens and uh, a lot of different stuff. And they usually come with like art prints and all the things. So we we talked about our fiction books last time. So this time we're going to talk about our two nonfiction choices.
1: So we picked for the nonfiction. And again, like, so we were thrilled to work with Elizabeth and she asked us if we would like to curate a box for her this quarter. And we said, yes, absolutely, of course. So we wanted to highlight some books that we thought maybe hadn't gotten as much Airtime is some of the other books and so as they deserve. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so so there are actually four books in the box. And so the two fiction books are um The Weight of Him by Ethel Rohan, and then the one that you picked was Tender by Sophia Samatar. and then the two nonfiction books that we picked were Men We Reaped by Jessamine Ward. Okay, so the, and then in Women in Sports by Rachel Ignoski. And so these are two books that we really enjoyed and um we thought that Men We Reaped was a good pick because we are talking about some of Jessamine's essays in this episode. And this is a memoir about, like, the five young men in her community who actually died. And they weren't—I don't think they were all
0: police brutality or you No, they just—I I don't They think... just died in general, and one of them was her brother. So, like, they're just—basically, the men, like, that system— if you think, like, systematic racism reaped, like, they all died basically as young— black men because of certain different situations that happened and she really ties that together every other chapter is like one of these guys and then you have jasmine's memoir on the other chapter and it goes back and forth so it's really good and then women in
1: sports is a beautiful book um very beautifully illustrated that talks about lesser known uh women in sports who um, made great achievements and did great things and really like broken some barriers in their different fields and just gives short, like one
0: page Biographies of them. There's little factoids like all around it, and then like each person's illustrated like with one color, and the colors repeat themselves. And you go all the way from like the you know mid late 1800s to the present. So like Katie Ledecky and Simone Biles are in there near the end, obviously because they're really young, and it goes in like chronological order. And there's just all sorts of different factoids about like women's payment in sports and coverage in sports. And it's incredibly diverse. You have athletes with disabilities in there. You have from all races and nationalities um, it is it is fantastic, and you might know this same book from they
1: did Women in Science last year. But I don't feel like Women in Sports has gotten much press. Um, but we love Women in Science, love Women in Sports, so be sure to check out Quarter Lane. We'll have a link in our show notes where you can get the box and get the selection of books. And as we mentioned, Elizabeth and her team have done a great job. They're beautifully mind-blowingly beautifully
0: packaged and they just do a great job and so that brings us to our second pick which is the fire this time uh edited by Jasmine warren it's out from scribner and that came out last year oh my goodness this book just blew me away and um as we mentioned last episode autumn was able to go see them and so we both got like signed copies and we just i read it last year and then read it again for this episode and different essays this time Um, really caught my attention than last time because I think there's just so many things in this book you could reread it like every year and you'd find something else in it. I think so and I think um, well we'll talk about Jessamyn's
1: essays in a minute but I did want to say that I did have the chance to talk to her and she's one of the kindest most gracious people I've ever met like You just want to rub in that you've met the queen. (laughs) No, no. I just (laughs) want to say that. Like, her writing style is very gracious, and it's not a put on. Like, that's who she is. Like, I watched her in the line talk to hundreds of people, and she's a beautiful person, and I'm done.
0: (laughs) Oh, but wait, I I feel like (laughs) I have to talk about my essay first. I feel like we need, like, this hall of fame slash pantheon of all the people we gush about continuously.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there are a lot of essays in this book. Um, There's, like, a fiction—it starts out with a fictional story. There's longer essays. There's shorter essays. Some are written more in, like, an epistolary style. Some are more, like, journalistic kind of style. They're all, and there's poems. Yes, there's poems. Um, there's all kinds of things in here. And so it really is a well-rounded perspective. I had a hard time picking the essay that I wanted to talk about because, again, this is another one that has all the tabs in it. Um, but I finally settled on an essay called The Condition of Black Life is One of Mourning and it is by Claudia Rankin and you might be familiar with her name. She wrote a poetry collection that was nominated for the National Book Award and I'm sure you've seen the cover. It is a white cover with a black hoodie on it and so this is not actually a poem. Um, It is an essay and I think the reason that I picked this one is because It's so easy to be bombarded by news all the time and things happening all the time and to kind of forget that the people being talked about in the news are real people. And so she starts out talking about a friend of hers who had a baby or who was, who was pregnant and they were talking about it and how the woman jokingly said something about like her son, like hoping that he didn't die or something and it's just so it's so heartbreaking and it like sets the tone for the whole novel where it's like i don't think that's part of my experience and so it really just
0: puts the whole thing in perspective from page one yeah and i really appreciated how she was able to express herself um in such a i guess real way Uh, one of my favorite quotes Um, From this essay collection is uh, the American tendency to normalize situations by centralizing whiteness was consciously or unconsciously demonstrated again when certain whites like the president of Smith's college sought to alter the language of black lives matter to all lives matter and she talks she talks about that for a little bit and says it was also a subtle shift away from valuing the black body in our time of deep despair and i really appreciated how she emphasized that the black lives matter movement was pointing out that that's their like slogan because black lives haven't mattered and that you know the fault in america has a tendency to be white because that is racism and i really appreciated the way she talks about that and she makes that very realistic uh, it's not just something you see on the news. It's something that you, you're kind of... She's presenting an experience to you that you might not see on the news, I should say. Very personal. Exactly. And she gives a lot of anecdotes. She kind of takes a
1: she kind of gives a short history of all of the national shootings that had happened up until the time that this book was published. I think the mo- it seems like the most recent one at the time of this publication was the Charleston murder um, because almost all of the authors reference them. And so it's just really moving to see, to have her walk through all of these different incidents and talk about how it affected the families and to talk about how it affected the communities and how it like affects her as a person who's part of this community and it's just it's beautiful. Like I mean, it's sad. Like it's horribly sad, but the way that she describes it is just beautiful.
0: She, I've never read any of her prose before. I've just read Citizen, and so when she talks about like her her talk discussion with her friend, uh, she says that her friend said. That the condition of black life is one of mourning, and she points out that for her, mourning lived in real time inside her and her son's reality. At any moment, she might lose her reason for living. And a lot of the authors of these essays talk about the talk that um, black people have to give their children about, you know, about racism. That some, you know, that racism exists, and that you know, having to deal with. You know this mom that she's talking to her friend has knows that she's going to have to have this discussion with her child. And when all of this violence is happening in America, it's like no, this is real. Like this, I could lose my my child. And even President Obama was like, if I had a son, like I I would have to have the talk with him, even though you know he was the president of the United States. Like, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's just a really horrible situation. And that's one
1: thing that I think about this essay. She points out that. She says that there exists no equivalent reality for white Americans, that being that, you know, you could be shot at any given time. And I actually think that's true because um, I was thinking about my own upbringing. And, you know, I never worried and I know my brothers never worried that they might, quote unquote, accidentally be shot by the by the police in the middle of the street or something like that. I mean, I got the rape talk, but that's a different story for another day. Um she also talks about how like grief aligns people with the living. And I think that that was a really important thing. And kind of, as I said at the beginning, like, I think that the one thing that this essay really struck home for me was the fact that, you know, the things that we see in the news are more than just political agendas and more than just like, pawns to use in a government system that these are people's lives that we're actually talking about and people's communities that we're actually commenting on and it's just something to keep in mind
0: i really appreciate how she makes it all down to earth and me like i am you know as a you know white person reading this i really appreciate how she was used like i guess neutral language where i could hand this to someone Um, who might be on the fence politically, and I feel like they would be able to, you know, read it and understand things. Like, she kind of meets you where you're at, and she talks about that and makes it very real with anecdotes. Uh, My mom would always say that learning history is about learning about people and people's lives, and that's kind of how she would teach that, and I really appreciated that. And I like what you—I love what you said about— like kind of comparing it with the talk that women get, because there's another essay in the collection that kind of makes that parallel as well and says that, you know, it's similar to how women are taught to guard their bodies because of rape and that everywhere you go, you're aware of where every man is and you're always looking around. It doesn't matter where you are, you're always looking for this. And being able... But that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah. And making that parallel, like it's not the same thing, but being able to equate it to that really made this a particular essay and the rest of the essays honestly in the collection hit home for me because I realized like oh that's what that's like because as we said her point is is that white people don't have that like and just yeah it it was able to make it more I guess understandable and relatable to me
1: and I've been wanting to read her poetry for a long time and this made me even more so want to read it she's a great writer she really is.
0: is yeah yeah she she really lives up to the hype Like, I know there was a lot of hype when she won, but it's definitely well-deserved, and she probably deserves even more. So, um, yeah, she really is very passionate about, you know, raising awareness. And if a lot of people um, probably already know this, but in the back of her collection, Citizen, is a list of names of people who of you know, black people who have died from gun violence from, I believe most of them are from police shootings. And she has a list of names, and every time there's a reprinting of her, you know, her poetry collection they add more names and so it makes it real like this is an ongoing issue so just to recap that essay
1: was the condition of black life is one of mourning and it is by claudia rankin and we were talking about her poetry collection citizen which was nominated for the national book award
0: but sadly didn't win yeah that is i don't know who won that year i was i don't think i think i was still in grad school so nothing else existed Uh, (laughs) i don't know how that is so So I really want to talk about um, Jasmine Ward's, uh, she has an introduction and an essay, so I want to talk about those um, because she really talks about why she wanted to do um, this essay, and interestingly enough, she said that she started this essay because she was pregnant with her um, daughter, and there was a shooting, and I'm not sure which shooting it was, um, but she made her thoroughly think about the situation, and so she wanted to put an essay collection th- together. She was working um, on the end of *Men We Reaped* and getting that ready, and so she decided her next project would be an anthology of different essays from different people, um, because she found a lot of solace in um, Baldwin's *The Fire Next Time*, and so she wanted to talk about the fire this time and have like a generational response to a previous essay. So I um, won't talk about that one, and we're going to talk about Cracking the Code, where she does, like, a 23andMe genetic test with her parents to learn um, about her past. Um, But yeah, so we're going to start with the first one. I mean, I
1: think the introduction is actually more than just an introduction. It's called Introduction, but it actually is an essay. I think the thing that was the most memorable about her introduction, apart from telling, like, why she decided to put this together. Well, she talks about how she went to go visit the Capitol while she was in high school, I believe. All of the classmates were white and how the senator uh, took a whip off his table, which I don't even know why he had it on his table, but anyhow, um, and how he made a joke, what he thought was a joke to one of the boys about how, let's show them how the good old boys do it. And she says that it really... She's like, she says, I know little, but I know what a good portion of Americans think of, of my worth. And that it just is so heartbreaking that she would, ugh, like, it just shows, like, the systematic racism that still exists in this country that a senator of all people would treat her, yeah, a senator, um,
0: how, how he would treat her that way. Yeah. And, she she brings that home with the quote, like, we cannot talk about black lives mattering or police brutality without reckoning with the very foundation of this country. And she points that out, like, that is a foundation of that country. And that's part of what, you know, we are still dealing, you know, still what we're still dealing with. Like, that's what the, the legacy, you know, that is here and that is a continuous. Obviously, it's still something that is going on in America right now. And that's what she wanted to talk about. Yeah, and I think that I mean obviously we're
1: recording this after the incidents in Charlottesville a couple weekends ago, and so there's a lot of renewed talk about is is there racism in America? Or I can't believe we're asking that. Question. Right. Well, and I think that's the thing that I came with away with after reading this collection is that there's no way you can hear these people's stories and and ask that question. <laughs>
0: because there is <laughs> you know I was listening to a podcast from I believe the New York Public Library about um, Ibram uh, H- what's his name Ibram Zendi what did X X anyway um, about uh, about what the author um, from stamp from the beginning and he was saying that when you ask the question um, is you know what about racist ideas his entire book is about racist ideas in America and he says you know when people, ask the question, are white people better than black people? That's a racist question. Yeah. And he says, the very, the, I mean, and you just think about it, and you realize, you know, how racism has, like, penetrated every part of our country, and he also points out a lot of, like, different types of racism, and I feel like, like, the different racist ideas. So, like, you're, you know, like, there isn't a singular idea that, that spurs racism. There's a bunch of different ones, and theories and different things, and I felt like, in this essay collection, like, there's a lot of different types of racism that they talk about, but a lot of it mainly dealt with just bodily safety because of a lot of the violent acts that have been happening and how, like, people think that, well, racism might exist, but it's not that big of a deal anymore. But this entire collection is written to, you know, stand against that statement. Right. So one of the essays... Um, that we want to talk about as well is Jasmine's essay in the collection called Cracking the Code. And I thought it was very interesting because I love genealogy and heritage. And so I was a little kid that would sit and ask my grandparents like who were your grandparents and who were their grandparents and where did they come from and I wanted all of the stories. And Desmond talks about how they had rumors of stories about where her parents came from, but they really didn't know. So when she found out about 23andMe, where you can actually do genetic testing, she was like, oh, okay, we'll do this. So she had her dad and her mom do the testing so she could figure out, you know, where she came from. And she discovered, so she found out that she was 40% European, a mixture of British, Irish, French, German, Scandinavian, Iberian, Italian, and Ashkenazi. 32% sub-Saharan African, a quarter Native American, and less than 1% North African. So it was like her entire identity as a black woman was kind of turned on its head because she realized she was most equal parts. She was actually 40%, you know, white European and then a quarter Native American and things that she didn't even know. And so um, she talks a lot about the one drop rule about how she once saw her aunt in line and she thought she was white because she's so light-skinned, but she's not. And she her aunt was also discriminated against. And the one drop rule, if you didn't know, is if that you have one drop of African-American blood, you're considered African-American. It doesn't matter what you look like. So she talks about that and her heritage and um, how that she had to, like, kind of readjust how she identified.
1: I thought that was really interesting, um, this whole conversation, especially because there's another essay that talks about, in here, about um, Rachel Dolezal and her perspective. And this is, like, totally different from that. Like, this is not that kind of a situation at all. I do want to make that clear. Um, But one of the things that we were talking about was how, I don't think either of us had ever really, like, you know, I knew where all of my family came from, by and large, um, and it's just something that I always knew and my parents kind of always talked about and weren't ashamed to talk about or felt like they had the, the right or the privilege to talk about it. And I don't think I'd ever considered that that wasn't a privilege for all people and how, like, um, depending on where you come from, that you don't always have the liberty to talk about it.
0: Yeah. And, like, knowing where you come from and your your past is a privilege because your family then was able to, like, chronicle that. You were able to tell the next generation kind of idea, and obviously not everyone has that. Well, because she talks, too, about how,
1: you know, strength comes from your heritage. And so, like, if you don't really—if you don't know your heritage or if you're not allowed to talk about your heritage because of things that—like, the one-drop rule where, you know, people— weren't really allowed to talk about it. Um, how that really kind of undermines that power that you can get from where you came from.
0: Yeah, and you know, you watch. I mean, I'm not from you know an affluent family, but you watch you know TV shows and movies, and they always talk. Well, he comes from a good family, or she comes from a good family, or oh, I know them. I went to school with their grandparents, or whatever. And obviously, that kind of heritage and knowing that is is a privilege, and um, it's very. I thought it was very interesting how, you know, she writes about uh, Black characters in the South and about her identifying, you know, as growing up poor and Black in the Mississippi Delta. And that's, like, what she writes about. That's what she, like, she is very, a a very big activist, obviously, um, having put this essay together. And um, at the end, she says she begins thinking about her heritage and she talks about, um, that she thinks about all the different people that she comes from. Say they met together, and she says, Together together they would make new music, like blues and jazz and zydeco, and new dances, second lining through the streets. They would make a world that reflected back to them the richness of their heritage, and doing so, discover a new type of belonging. And I really thought that was very beautiful, because, um, you know, the, oftentimes when you read um, histories about uh, the slaves in America, you realize that most African-Americans have white blood in them somewhere because of the slave owners. They would often rape their slaves and, you know, they would have children. And that's where the one drop rule came from, essentially. Um, so she really, I don't know, she just does a beautiful way of talking about her ancestry and different things. Well, and I think to tie it back to the, the essays we were talking
1: about from Rebecca Solnit is I think that society gives us these narratives that we buy into, I mean, that's the short of it. And I think this essay goes like that paragraph that you were reading from. She's like, no, there's more, you know, your story is what it is. And your story is what you make of it. And there's no one right story and there's no one right narrative. And it's just silly to assume that, that there is one narrative. And as a result, like it's, it's dumb to stereotype (laughs) black people specifically. Um, but just
0: people in general, because you just don't know. You don't know their history. You don't know where they came from. I've never read an essay that doesn't know it like that. Um, and I thought it was really fantastic. And just looking at it really, I guess it just blows a hole in your, your stereotypes of what you think, as you said, the narrative is. So yeah, you'll definitely want to check that one out because I mean, every essay in this collection is fantastic. So we've only chosen two to talk about, but all of them are really amazing and you might have seen we've talked
1: about we posted a blog post by now a month ago of books to read post charlottesville and i we thought that was really important because especially after reading this collection we saw the value of seeing and hearing stories from people whose experiences were different than ours and the whole concept of empathy is like super important and something that we think we really value so if you're interested in more books like that be sure to go check out that blog post um we do have a Claudia Rankin book on there um and some other things that you might be interested in so yeah
0: and if you have any recommendations for us we're always reading and learning and wanting to hear from new voices from experience other than our own and very important ones. so please uh send us, you know, you can email us, you can tweet at us wherever you so desire to contact us and let us know your recommendations. We're always here for more recommendations. Oh, right. Um, And that was The Fire This Time, uh, edited by Desmond Ward, and that's out from Scribner. And that's the end of our essays. Um, Yes, that was like really two heavy
1: topics, (laughs) like back to back. Really (laughs) heavy with that one. Um, But these are things that are really important to us. And we try really hard to be sensitive and try to be respectful. And we try to, yeah, we try. We really
0: do try because we think that these are things that are very, very, very important to talk about. I know, so, yeah, that's that's it for this month's theme of essay collections. As always, uh, send us your recommendations, or if you've read the books, you can always tag us on Instagram about books that you've read or ones that you want to recommend, all the things. We're doing something a little lighter next month, I guess is your definition of lighter. Uh, next... <laughs> it depends. Uh, so next month, we are going to be talking about mysterious women. So we're going to be talking about... a wide range of like thriller mysteries a stash of horror all thrown into one and I thought we thought it would yes. be perfect for October oh yes we thought so yes so I there's so many different ones like we have like really gotten the range of books here <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about them um and yes. them with you and something a little lighter than after essay collection month <laughs> it's just true This is true. I mean, granted, you know, most of them involve murder because, I mean, that's what mysteries are, right? Right, but lighter. That was in quotes, air quotes. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't see them. them. I didn't (gasps) see them. I know. I'll know next time. I'll know next time. If you want to know what the discussion books are ahead of time, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which link, of course, will be in the show notes, and we share the the discussion books there early so you can get a head start and join the conversation. So thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um,
1: If you enjoy our podcast or have some, you know, thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. It really helps other people find our show and it really helps us share the love of books by or about women If there's anything that we've talked about in this episode that you'd love to talk to us about more, feel free to send us an email or to talk to us on social media. You can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter at Autumn Privet, and you can find Kendra at kdwinchester, and we're all the places. And thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, guys.